U.S. was five years ago and where it is today. I mean, I have a bit of whiplash in terms of figuring out where things are. But I do think that when you look at capitalism in the world today, it's not in a very great state. And the U.S. government, which has always been the, the, the de facto champion of it, has stepped aside. We'll see who takes the mantle and who champions it going forward. Oh, it's going to be interesting times. Thank you very much, William. Will That's Tokyo based journalist and author William Pessick. Let me give you an update on the uh, on the markets uh, this morning. First of all, uh, over in South Korea, uh, the Cosby is up about uh, 1%. Over in Japan, the Nikkei 225, where we were just talking to William, is also up uh, about uh, about 1.5%. In uh, Hong Kong, it looks like the Hang Seng is going to add about 0.4% at uh, the open later on this morning. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil trading at $43.80 a barrel and gold is at $1,975 an ounce. That's it from me this morning. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for uh, Money Talk. The weather forecast for today is going to be mainly cloudy, isolated showers, some isolated thunderstorms and a maximum temperature of about 30 degrees. The temperature right now is 28 degrees degrees and it's 87% relative humidity. 8.31 and a half, here's Samantha Butler with the Half Hour News. President Trump has insisted the coronavirus outbreak in the United States is receding, saying there'd been a drop of nearly 6% in the number of reported cases over the past week. More than 150,000 people have died with the virus in the US, far more than any other country. But Mr Trump told the news conference he was proud of America's response to the pandemic. We've tested now over 60 million people. No other country is even close to that. In many cases, about 50 percent now rapid fire, meaning 5 to 15 to 20 minute tests where you get the result almost immediately. Nobody has anything like that. Nobody. And uh, I think we're just doing very well. It's emerged that Russian hackers accused of leaking sensitive trade information ahead of last December's UK general election gained access to the email account of the former British trade minister Liam Fox. Reuters news agency says emails detailing UK-US trade relations were accessed. Here's the BBC's Gordon Carrera. On July 16th, the government said Russian actors had tried to interfere in the December 2019 election by distributing illicitly acquired documents. It's not clear when the theft, first reported by Reuters and confirmed by the BBC, took place, but Dr Fox was International Trade Secretary until July 2019. A criminal inquiry is underway, led by the National Crime Agency, and a government spokeswoman said it would be inappropriate to comment further at this point. England's Football Association says players who deliberately cough at others on the pitch could be sent off. The refereeing guidelines have been updated for games played during the COVID-19 pandemic. Here's the BBC's Laura Scott. Spitting at another player or the referee has long been an act of misconduct in football and punishable with a red card. It's a sign of the times that the refereeing rules, which apply to all levels of the game, now make specific mention of coughing. The guidelines say that a player should be sent off if they clearly, and from close range, cough at an opponent or official, as it wouldn't be in the spirit of the game. However, action must not be taken against routine coughing. Meanwhile, players must take responsibility for social distancing at goal celebrations and post-match handshakes must not take place. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today. It's Ada Wong. Ada, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. More COVID-19 today. The leader of a team of mainland medical experts says he hopes they can help expand Hong Kong's testing capacity to more than 200,000 people a day. And the government has dismissed as rumours that they are here to collect people's DNA. Yesterday, there were 80 confirmed cases, the first time in two weeks, the number below 100. The government has confirmed that it's extending by a week a raft of social distancing measures. So how are we doing? What will those mainlanders do here? Is widespread testing important? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk, or call us on 233-88266. And after 9.15, we'll be hearing about a unique charitable initiative encouraging people to donate the $10,000 they get from the government to help the needy in one way or another here. That coming up after 9.15. Joining us for our first topic, we have with us Dr. Kwokkaki, a Civic Party lawmaker, and Joseph Lee, the healthcare sector lawmaker, and uh, Gabriel Choi, president of the Hong Kong Medical Association. Uh, just before we get to uh, the uh, the doctors and the uh, the medical side, uh, a, f- a few emails, some relating to uh, discussion yesterday, mostly sort of uh, political. Uh, first of all, Martin, let's call him Martin C, uh, says on today's news, RTHK cites Professor Michael Davis as a legal expert. Uh, what RTHK left out and would be important to mention is that Michael Davis is not just a former law professor at Hong Kong U. He was working for the National Endowment for Democracy, one of the US regime change organisations. In addition, Michael Davis is a global fellow at the conservative US government funded Woodrow Wilson International Centre and sits on the advisory board on the anti-China Washington-based Hong Kong Democracy Council, which states in its mission to preserve the U.S.'s own political and economic interests in Hong Kong. Other members of the HKDC include Nathan Law, and the rest of the advisory board is made up of members of the NED, the Open Society Foundations of uh, George Soros, uh, the Council on Foreign Relations and Freedom House. Herman says, Professor Michael Davis makes a point regarding the authoritarian election delay in Hong Kong, as do various comments coming down from Mount Canada, if one bothers to sift through all the verbal incontinence. But I am curious, when President Trump floated a proposal to delay the November election, use of the word authoritarian was scant. Similarly, when UK passed the Coronavirus Act 2020 and delayed elections, there was no talk of the UK becoming an authoritarian state. Please explain. Uh, Anthony says, uh, Dear Hugh and company, I'm with you. It's important to have oppositions on Backchat, regardless of their loyalties. That's the point of the programme. First Ronnie Tong, then Regina Ip. I wonder what your blood pressure was during those interviews. Also, I have no idea what loyal opposition means. Maybe I'm dumb or uneducated. Please enlighten me, the Honourable Mrs Ip, uh, GBSJP. John says, I apologise this subject is off piece today, but I want to make a comment about TikTok. Uh, what is the world coming to when a private $50 billion company that Trump doesn't like, uh, whether he, because he fears its Chinese ownership would result in data of its 165 million American users uh, being transferred to Beijing, or maybe simply because he wants to take revenge on the company after its users severely damaged his recent campaign in Oklahoma, is forced to one, shut down its US operation, or two, be sold to a patriotic American company. And to make this story even more Trumpian, he wants the US government to be paid a finder's fee for the deal. 
And uh, Martin E says, I hope the Hong Kong government can spend a small amount of its reserve billions to pay for the funerals of the near 40 people who have died from COVID-19 so far. This is since the government has insisted on many hundreds of people to and from the mainland and overseas being exempt from two weeks of quarantine. The government policy has been responsible for the massive third wave. Nice to have mainland medical experts arrive in Hong Kong to stem the problem, except the only real answer they can provide is total lockdown as on the mainland. Another example of how the Chinese coronavirus will change our lives. That is to say from uh, Martin E. Bankchat.rthk.hk is our email address. Uh, Kwok Kaki, good morning to you, Dr Kwok. Good morning. Thanks for, for, for joining us. Um, what's your understanding? Because we're getting kind of, kind of mixed accounts or slightly obscure accounts uh, of the, uh, the experts, uh, the mainland experts who are coming to Hong Kong. What exactly the, will they be doing and uh, how important do you think those, uh, those functions are? You know, um, until this moment, I cannot tell anything about the role of the so-called extra. Now, if we look into the uh, third wave of the outbreak in Hong Kong, clearly all the evidence has pointed to the fact that the origin or the root cause of the outbreak is actually the extended version, uh, which was introduced uh, starting in uh, May and then become more and more um, prominent in, Ju- in June. So if you look into or we, if you count the dates of the uh, introduction of the exempted policy and the outbreak, it coincides, meaning that the, the problem is actually lies in within Hong Kong. And uh, it doesn't, you know, really uh, happen in mainland uh, for the first point. But the second point, they, it was told, we were told that they was probably uh, being involved in a so-called a large-scale whole population uh, check or, uh, of, the, of the COVID-19 and perhaps on the building of this uh, so-called temporary hospital. And first of all, we talk about the, the whole population check itself. It doesn't have any roles in the prevention of a disease. It may be used as a means to check whether you have carried a disease. But we all know the origin of, of the disease is actually coming from overseas. It can be from the uh, cruise, can be from the uh, seamen, and actually can be from anyone working maybe in other parts of the world, including China. So the best uh, preventive measure is to abolish the exempted uh, policy or to make sure that everyone entering Hong Kong will be able to check against COVID-19. And that is the only way which can help Hong Kong. For all the others, no matter how much you check the local population, if you still allow people with exempted uh, from quarantine break or without any checking on COVID-19 coming in Hong Kong, you know, the source is there. So it doesn't mean anything. And secondly, for the, for the so-called expert coming to Hong Kong to help, you know, we, we actually in Hong Kong, we welcome many people to work in Hong Kong, but we have some rules and regulations. The rules and regulations in Hong Kong is based on uh, the, a lot of professional body, like the Hong Kong Medical Council, the Nursing Council, the Medical uh, Technologies Council. They all have the duty to check against the um, um, CV, the qualifications, and all the required function if they wanted to perform as a professional in Hong Kong. So we, I don't know how many of those... Uh, expert coming from China has been given the temporary license uh, to work in Hong Kong. And thirdly, uh, we were told that 
uh, both the Department of Health and also the hospital authority cannot give any details as to how they this expert to, to help in Hong Kong. So nothing has been known so far. So it was quite strange, quite funny. You know, people claim that they expert coming to help Hong Kong, but yet in all in Hong Kong, uh, particularly for, the, for those authorities, they, they don't know what exactly role these people are playing. Um, are, are they trying to build another temporary hospital? Because I read that um, uh, another site has been identified um, and that yes. should be the expansion site of the Asia World Expo and supposedly another temporary modular hospital uh, would be built. Uh, do you think yes. this team of experts would be in charge? Or? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's another point which is very funny. Now, uh, the, the ideas of temporary hospital has been raised, including by myself, as early as February. There was the time when the COVID-19 uh, actually hitting Hong Kong. But nothing has been happened. We asked repeatedly the government or the uh, should do something to build the temporary hospital. They refused to do, to do so. And suddenly, when, when the mainland came back, they can build a temporary hospital. And then they endorsed the idea. So you know how stupid and how lazy our government is doing. You know, they, are, they need to be taught by the mainland government as to how to work for the, you know, uh, for the so-called temporary hospital. In fact, the ideas of a temporary hospital is nothing new. Over the world, in many other cities, including in Wuhan, in uh, New York, in London, in Manchester, they have a lot of these ideas of turning uh, a very big exhibition center, or in Hong Kong, like the, uh, the, the cruise terminal, into a temporary hospital. And nothing's very, you know, special. They just have some hospital bags. They have some uh, partition. Make sure that people they have, you know, toilet facility. But but they what's have, but what's wrong with why, why not have uh, people with experience? That's no. Uh, I, I doesn't. I, I didn't have anything wrong about these ideas. We didn't object anyone to build a temporary hospital. It's only the stupidity of the government. You know, because you know, in a very embarrassed position. The society and professional arts repeatedly the government should do this thing. And in fact, the building a temporary hospital is, is, not, is not difficult. We just turn your exhibition hall, you know, the hall one of the Asia Expo Center in Hong Kong is actually 100% built by the people of Hong Kong without any difficulties. And they claim that they come to turn into hall two. I don't know how, what, what role they are playing. We know how to do that. You know, they stop building a, 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 air, a air station in, in you know, applying a, a, a satellite in the, in the sky. It's low tech. It's of no technology, very low in the level of technology. You just have, have bags, you have x-ray machine, you have uh, some, uh, you know, counter for giving the drugs, have, have the so-called the CCTV. In Hong Kong, we can build this so-called temporary facility in, you know, within a short period of time. Okay. Of course, somebody can help, you know, but it doesn't make any sense at all. Okay, there's this the other issue which has come up, which is the, 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 uh, the DNA. Uh, Tom, in an email, says, uh, in January, Apple Daily and the anti-China media loudly proclaimed China cares more about its economy than the health of its citizens. After the West had a few cases, it was Wuhan hiding 40,000 deaths. Later it was, uh, look... 
China is hiding 14.5 million uh, coronavirus deaths because that many people changed their mobile phones. All forgotten now, same as the ghost trains to China and all the others. Why should we believe any conspiracy theory the Apple Daily and the anti-China crowd is peddling? The DNA harvesting theory is the most ridiculous one yet, but does fit into the chicken little, little pattern as usual. Still waiting for the sky to fall. The top Apple Daily headline today is the Wuhan virus team from the mainland is, quote, threatening to test 200,000 Hong Kongers a day and outlines the whole conspiracy. This is simply straight-up anti-government agitation, uh, isn't it? That comes uh, from uh, Tom. And uh, Andrew Kay says, stealing our DNA? Really? You couldn't make this stuff up. Dr Kwok, uh, what, what do you make of this um, claims well, uh, about okay. DNA? Yeah. First of all, talking about the facts. The fact that um, transferring the data of the DNA is nothing usually shouldn't be, you know, so scary, you know. So when the, when Carrie Lam and the government officials come out and accusing people of spreading the news, you know, subject to national security legislation, it was so strange to me. Now, if our big country, China, is, you know, be very friendly to all the people, we shouldn't be afraid of, you know, giving the information, the DNA, including DNA, to those uh, countries, including China. Okay, nothing new. But the problem is why the people are so afraid of transferring the data to China. You, you cannot stop people of, you know, worrying about the data, number one. And secondly, it's about the privacy issue. Each and every single person in Hong Kong are protected by the privacy ordinance, including the composition of the DNA. Even the blood investigation, the X-ray report, all are subjected to the privacy ordinance. So we need to be protected. So the government, no matter which contractor, they awarded the, you know, the, this uh, test. You know, they awarded three companies to handle the test. At least two of them is actually closely linked to mainland. So people will tend to think, you know, not only these two China, Chinese China-based company, and now it comes to the expert to test all the population. And of course, I, you know how much information you get from this DNA or how much issue, how much information will be stored? We couldn't tell. Nobody can tell apart from the, the lab itself. So the government should have the duty or the responsibility to ask whoever contractor or the expert how to handle the DNA, number one. How do they perform the test? What kind of test they are doing? What important information will be gathered from this test, whatever, so and so forth. But interesting, interestingly, this saga has been around for a week, but nobody from the government can tell what are they going to do. Even at the level of what has, is going to be done by this extra school, Nobody can tell. Well, OK. Well, let's go, let's go to, perhaps to uh, Joseph Lee now, the healthcare sector lawmaker. Uh, Mr Lee, Professor Lee, good morning to you, and thanks for, for joining good us morning. now. Uh, is there a danger that this is getting politicised, that the, um, the these people who are here to help, they've got various skills and, and very valuable experience um, uh, in, in treating and addressing uh, COVID-19, uh, we, we could overlook them, but they're here to help, and we should welcome that. Well, the situation I think now become problematic and even politicized is uh, simply because the the problem is the Hong Kong government. As you can see, uh, this uh, idea of um, inviting 
mainland experts to Hong Kong to account this originating or initiated from the Hong Kong government in early July. And suddenly the government announced that, well, that she is going to invite experts to Hong Kong to help. And without any further explanation, as you can see, this usual practice of the government is trying to uh, release information bit by bit and without clarifying, without further explanation. Suddenly, there are a lot of rumors and a lot of different sayings. And like, well, in my test, uh, in my mainland, people to increase the capacity for Hong Kong to in- increase the uh, testing capacity. Obviously, there will be modern groups, like uh, the elder groups, and also the drivers and public services for well, those free screening. But unfortunately, well, will this mainland experts coming to China is legitimate, well justified, necessary, reasonable, and do a do uh, and go for a deal process? And the government mm-hmm. even bothers to explain further, as you can see. As like those uh, medical lab experts in Hong Kong, we have ordinance they like to cap three uh, five nights. It is a, it's a, there is a kind of um, provision called temporary registration. But will the expert, if they are going to have hands-on clinical uh, practice for helping uh, that test, so probably they might they might go for this channel so they become legitimized. They're not saying nothing. And as for nurses, they're saying that well, nurses from Shanghai will come to Hong Kong to help. Well, our, our concern is, well, there will be a nurse registration ordinance, their provision, uh, Section 7, and uh, uh, Section 7, well, 24, number 25, called an exemption. Will these uh, people coming to Hong Kong, is legitimate going through this exemption? And people of Hong Kong have the right to know. Unfortunately, the government has let these things transparent, and no communication or engagement with professional body is the Hong Kong citizen. So there's a lot of rumors. I think the situation now is the government uh, do not explicitly clarify all these rumors or sayings to create a lot of chaos. And uh, as you can see, uh, we need to build another hospital in uh, somewhere in the, uh, in, in Dongchong, and establishing a new lab will increase the capacity. And that is the prevention strategies the government uh, early uh, uh, tried to say, uh, say earlier. And will these experts from mainland China? really come to share their experience, or given their advice, or really have hands-on clinical practice. The issue and the difference. I think people in Hong Kong have the right to know what the role of these experts coming to China and how these uh, uh, experts will help, in what way of these mm. experts will help. Right. And if Hong Kong is having an urgent need, so are we urge, uh, uh, and the need of urgent uh, experts to help is to help us to build a hospital to increase the number of beds or even in manpower. The government has never explained this. That's created a lot of chaos. Okay, um, Joseph, but is it also a fact that uh, we don't really have enough nurses? It's uh, one thing to push the beds inside an empty hall and have this makeshift hospital. It's another thing to have power to... to is community treatment facilities, including nurses and all the ancillary staff. W- would that be a problem in the numbers we have? Well, obviously, uh, we, we have a chronic shortage of nurses. That is, uh, that is the problem or that is the evidence. But now with the COVID-19, uh, as far as number of nurses are concerned, we have more, uh, more or less about 60,000 uh, of nurses in Hong Kong, half of it working in public health sector and half of it in private sector. Will the hospital come out or the government come out to try to reallocate those uh, human resources to fit the needs now in fighting against COVID-19? There's nothing to say about the, uh, the government say nothing on this issue. If we really need expert or, 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 or help from uh, mainland, 
as Rashford is concerned. Well, will this nurse explain legitimately going through a dual process like the uh, TAP 104, uh, 164 uh, full exemption? And how will this nurse place in what hospital? Like if the if, if you're looking at the provision of the uh, nurse particular ordinance, well, if they, if they get exemption, will this group of nurses uh, particularly work in a, a, a particular hospital, like a new, a new hospital, so it's only fighting for COVID-19? The, the people in Hong Kong have to know. All right. But the government has said nothing. Dr Choi, Gabriel Choi, President of the Hong Kong Medical Association, good morning to you. Thanks for, for, for hanging Hello. on. Uh, what's your take? Would you say no to this helping hand? Um, the COVID-19 is causing the public service to near collapse. We have witnessed uh, the delay in reporting of the pro-saliva test uh, up to 10 days. So that this is uh, not acceptable because if you have a positive case roaming around the city for 10 days before he's told to quarantine, then uh, he has already spread the disease. Also, there has been healthy, uh, healthy uh, people being uh, the, Call sick uh, or positive and brought into stay with positive cases in the hospital or in uh, uh, airport uh, well exposed. So again, this is uh, dangerous and uh, shows that uh, the public system is near collapse. I think we welcome uh, further screening tests uh, by anybody, but uh, we're not sure what tests are being done. We're not sure what these experts are. What type of experts they are, why they are, what what role exactly they are being brought into, and we have been told nothing, exactly not nothing. The profession knows nothing about what is going on except for rumors. So I was told uh, this this morning that uh, there are two doctors here, and uh, as far as I know, uh, these doctors have not uh, get limited registration through the medical council at this point in time. So uh, these. The government needs to clarify this to allay the anxiety of the profession and the people. Uh, again, no no objection into bringing outsiders into help, but define what kind of help and what kind of people uh, these people are, these so-called experts are. This is important. Well, it has been said that, um, uh, you know, these teams of doctors can help to expand uh, our testing ability to um, around 200,000 people a day. Uh, this is a very big number. Do, do you think, um, you know, it should be that big, the uh, testing? If you can really keep the people uh, inside the house for uh, a period of time so that after the testing they can <clears throat> they can be uh, picked out uh, to, into, to stay in the hospital, then it's fine. If you can not quarantine or uh, have a curfew in the city, then even if you can do uh, such an amount of uh, screening tests, uh, it is not going to be of much use. I think the, what the Secretary for Health has uh, suggested that prioritizing the tests uh, uh, makes more sense. Um, public health um, uh, experts uh, at the Hong Kong U said that there won't be enough labs uh, for this expanded testing. So I guess that uh, if uh, the testing is expanded, uh, the um, the saliva or whatever will be brought to Shenzhen? Or is that how you understand it? Exactly. We were not told whether the test then will be deep saliva testing or uh, nasal swapping uh, test, which is then in mainland China. If it's nasal swapping test, which is done in the small camps in various parts of the cities in China, then uh, it's different from what we're doing here 
Joseph Lee, do you think that uh, mass testing of the kind that's been described would be uh, useful? I think more more tests done will be useful because we are lagging behind. I agree to more testing. Whether it's universal or prioritising tests, uh, it's up for the uh, government to decide. Uh, uh, We have no objection to expanding the testing done here in Hong Kong. Joseph Lee? Okay. Yeah, I think the origin of the problem is the exempted person or the exempted mm. policy. If that cannot be dealt with, you know, you cannot expect doing a test will stop prevention because we are not stopping the source of the infection of the COVID-19. So I would, you know, rather the government spend their energy to dealing with the root of the problem than doing some, you know, PR show, just, you know, asking people to do a lot of tests Okay, well, we're going to be joined by uh, a representative from the Hospital Authority after the news uh, at nine. Uh, in the meantime, many thanks to uh, Dr Gabriel Choi there, President of the Hong Kong Medical Association, Joseph Lee, the health sector lawmaker and civic party lawmaker, uh, Dr uh, Kwok thank you very much indeed. Uh, Greg in an email says, I'm amazed at the number of emails to your show, usually from folks sounding like lightweight reactionaries who ask in a challenging way to have their own points explained to them. Uh, why don't they read a book or peruse a selection of more learned opinions? or are they vainly deploying a lame rhetorical device he asks rhetorically thanks very much indeed for that the weather mainly cloudy with occasional showers sunny intervals in the morning isolated thunderstorms later temperatures up to about 30 degrees showers heavy at times with thunderstorms tomorrow 28 degrees the latest readings and the relative humidity is at 85 percent back in three minutes time wild dogs have declined dramatically. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. Back chat on a Tuesday morning with Ada Wong and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're t- talking uh, further about uh, COVID-19, <coughs> excuse me, about the extension of the... Um uh, the health measures, uh, the public health measures, and also about those uh, visiting uh, experts uh, from the mainland, uh, what exactly they will be doing uh, in Hong Kong, the, uh, the idea of the testing and, and so on. We haven't t- talked too much about the uh, building temporary hospitals. Uh, maybe that's something we can touch on now in the second part of the programme. Uh, we're joined now by Dr Alistair Ma, who's a senior manager at the Patient Safety and Risk Management Department of the Hospital Authority. Later we're going to be hearing about a charity uh, initiative that uh, promises to uh, uh, double any uh, donations you give and they're encouraging people to donate from the $10,000 that uh, the government has uh, been giving out uh, to help uh, NGOs who are struggling in this uh, environment. More on that later in the programme. A lot of emails and a lot of discussion uh, related to our first topic um, this morning. Uh, There's there's quite a few on uh, Facebook. You can check those out for yourself with... uh, with uh, some maps and uh, links uh, and things like this that don't 
already come across on radio. Uh, let me just air maybe this comment from TC, who says, for Blue Ribbon supporters, including those critical of public health care workers who went on strike in February, they should be treated by the mainland Chinese experts. Give them exactly what they wish for. This arrangement would free up much medical resources to treat everyone else uh, in Hong Kong. Um, Alonso says, while I don't question Kwaki's experience of being able to comment on COVID, I question whether he can be relied on for giving an impartial, apolitical view, given his anti-Carrie Lam posture and the likely bitter taste he has in his mouth after being disqualified for running in the upcoming LegCo elections. And uh, CW uh, points to uh, an email that uh, he sent yesterday, which I don't think I read yesterday, but uh, yeah, it's relevant. CW says, after the Hong Kong government said that they were not capable to do uh, not mass testing, not sure why, a team with experts and experience has been sent down from China. It would be good to know where they invited by the Hong Kong government or are China being like a concerned mother and sending the team down to sort things out and look after their family members? Seems like confusion over what the sequence of events were. Invited or was it stand by your beds, we're on our way? Whatever the reason, if it improves the COVID-19 situation in Hong Kong, it should be welcomed. Quite bizarre that the team is straying, is staying at the Metro Park, the old Metropole Hotel in Homantin. This is where the first case of SARS was identified in 2003. Here's to better days ahead, says uh, CW. Patrick says, are the mainland experts tested on a daily basis? If not, have they done their 14 days uh, quarantine? And uh, Matthew, uh, in a message that's also posted on uh, Facebook, and it has a link and, and so on, says, uh, uh, I'll edit this, it's so ridiculous that these mainland experts being sent to save us from the problem created in the mainland and covered up by the CCP entered Hong Kong under the 33 cross-border exemptions still in place, even though the Department of Health has already acknowledged these loopholes are a cause of the third wave here. Uh, Hong Kong people have the right to be concerned about uh, what's next. Uh, if the virus doesn't get under control quickly, the CCP may well try to seize the opportunity to make us do forced virus tests to enable mass DNA collection and to introduce invasive mainland-style e-tracking tools in exchange for mobility rights. If this seems far-fetched, read this Axios article about one of the three companies appointed by the SAR. Uh, key extracts uh, in July 2016, BGI chairman, that's one of the companies involved in this, uh, signed an agreement with party leaders in Urumqi to lead the creation of the Xinjiang Gene Bank in order to support health, medicine and legal justice uh, in the region. That's according to uh, an announcement posted on the Xinjiang government website. Uh, you can read the whole text of that, as I say, on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Dr. Mark, good morning to you. Good morning, Ada. Thank you very much indeed for, for, for joining us today. What's your understanding? Because we, we, we were hearing that, we've, you know, the, the, I guess in the first part of the programme, we're saying they're kind of relying on rumours and so on. What's your understanding about the visiting mainland experts? What are they actually doing here in Hong Kong? What will be their goal? My understanding is that they are providing sort of advisory support to, to uh, healthcare teams in, in Hong Kong. So I guess what I'm hearing is probably the same as yourself, and certainly, you know, it, it's not they're not providing direct clinical care at this point of time. But um, my understanding is that the mainland would be providing sort of hardware support, like beds, equipment, setting up the modular hospital that's uh, part two, and you know, basically doing a lot of sharing advisors, uh, advice on on how to uh, manage the hospital as well as manage the whole COVID situation. 
Um, how, how are things? We, we had uh, Gabriel Choi in the first part of the programme talking about a near collapse of public services uh, in Hong Kong. Is that correct? Is that fair? Well, I think um, the hospital authority, uh, I'll, I'll say, is it, doing quite a good job in terms of managing its inpatients at this point of time. The strategy that the hospital authority has adopted is to redeploy staff from some non-critical services to support patients who are uh, directly affected by COVID-19. And if the situation worsens, the hospital authority can always uh, further reduce its scope of elective services uh, to manage the virus. So in that sense, I do think it is, uh, it is able to cope. However, um, you know, the public health team and you know, certainly Dr. Chuang said in her press, um, when you have to deal with 20 patients versus 200 patients, well, it's not going to be an exact same workload. Right, uh, uh, but uh, we can all see that uh, the 500 beds uh, have been designed and built by the hospital authority team uh, within a certain period of time, and now we will have another hall at the Asia World Expo for another makeshift hospital. So if you can build the first one, um, you know, why can't we build the second one ourselves? Oh, you can po possibly... Uh you know, stretch yourself and be able to have that capacity. I think this is a capacity uh, question at some stage. I mean, you know, luckily, fortunately, we are, our numbers seem to have gone down yesterday to double digits instead of triple digits. Uh, but we really don't know. Well, hopefully, it would be a, uh, it would keep improving. But if things do not improve, or uh, things cross if it, if it does get worse, then you know. Hong Kong's capacity will be stretched. And, you know, this is as a whole, and it's not a secret, Hong Kong has a shortage of, a health, of its health workforce. And this, this has been discussed at multiple forums previously. So this fact should not be sort of politicized simply because of the pandemic. What about the isolation beds, the low-pressure wards and, and so on, uh, with the reports that they were practically full? Is that correct? Increased its uh, uh, isolation facilities from the initial 1,200, and then there was this uh, sort of tier two uh, beds. There was another 500, and then we see the community treatment facilities. So our capacity has gone over to 2,000, uh, coming up to sort of say two, two and a half thousand beds. But you know, it depends how big the size of the problem is. Okay, we've got a caller on the line. Uh, it's Mike. Mike, good morning. This, this seems like it's off topic, but uh, I thought you were talking about the uh, testing, and these experts were coming down to be able to test us. And I just wanted, I wanted to make a comment on testing. You know, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a critic of President Trump, but I do speak to emergency room physicians in the United States, and their ideas of testing I thought were very unique. Um, they said it was, in their words, was mental masturbation. Uh, testing is useless. And uh, President Trump is touting testing. And he says, I think, it, and, and one doctor told me, he said, um, I have a patient that I've tested 10 times. 10 times he tested negative. The only time we, we confirmed he was positive COVID was on autopsy. Um, if you want to test everybody every day, 
well, then it could be useful. But just testing is really pretty, it's a kind of a waste. Well, doctors, at least you, treat, uh, doctors treat symptoms in, in the case of COVID. Well, Mike, uh, how can we find the asymptomatic um, people then, people who do carry you, the virus? Do you need to find them? Well, then you can then you can quarantine well, them. Then there, you can there, keep them there are community outbreaks here and there, and uh, in particular, old people. Are you going to test everybody every day? Because you can be you, you can be symptomless. But, but Mike, you no, know, you, maybe you don't test everybody every day. But if you if you test, the more you test, the better it is. That's the theory, but that's not the pra- That's not the practical. Um, 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 when it comes down to treating the patients, treating people, and dealing with the disease, that's not the way you do it. Then what's a better way to do it then? Well, I, I just think the emphasis, I'm trying to just stress the emphasis on testing is way over um, stressed. And, way they, and the way they do it is they treat the symptoms. If you've got, if you're asymptomatic, even though you test positive, if you do not need hospital care, you go home. When you start to get difficulty breathing, now uh, 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 then you come back to the hospital. But in Hong Kong, you know, the apartments are very small and there have been cases whereby, you know, people have gone home waiting to be hospitalized, but then, you know, they infected their children and also their mates. Uh, usually, the older people—they they affect the older people. Yeah, children are pretty exempt from this whole problem. Uh, uh, okay, uh, Doctor Ma, do you want to respond on that? Do anything to add? Uh, well, I think um, everyone's entitled to their own opinions. I think that testing, in, in my opinion, testing uh, more is certainly the way to go. there are a lot of asymptomatic carriers and they themselves if they are young they might not have a problem the problem is that they uh, spread the virus to their grandparents or the family members who might not be as resilient and absolutely Ada mentioned the more testing we do the better we have a chance the more of a chance we find these uh, asymptomatic carriers and, and I do believe that's the way to go can you can you test everybody? I mean, in, in, in that theory, that would mean that you would have to test uh, eight million people. Why, that, why would you have to test everybody? I don't understand. Because you're you're talking about asymptomatic. So if you have no, if you've got, uh, that would mean that would. Mean well, no, it would be test. perfect if you could test everybody. But if you can't, it's still better than nothing. The more you uh, test, the better. I don't understand. That wasn't. That wasn't. I mean, this was not my. This was the doctors that are on the on the ground that are treating patients that are doing cases. The testing is way overblown. The testing is 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 not where we should be you know spending you know millions of dollars. Okay. There, yeah. 
All right, Mike, thanks for your call. 233-88266, as ever. Uh, James says, testing for COVID... This is an email. Testing for COVID-19 has several components of processing. First, collection of samples. Secondly, transportation of samples to the laboratory. Third, processing of samples. The challenge is to tackle this volume of samples is the processing of the data associated with this volume. If our maximum capacity is 300,000 tests per day, over a 20-hour day, that's 15,000 tests arriving each day at the various laboratories. Assuming a steady-state flow of samples arriving is 1,500 samples per hour arriving at 10 different laboratories, which is equivalent to the laboratory processing, entering data on each sample at the rate of 50 subject info, uh, that's name, telephone, ID, per minute. The premise is that after all the testing, first all negatives will be advised timely, 24 to 48 hours after testing. All positives will be reconfirmed at the DHS's reference laboratory and subject is isolated. And third, all contacts will be traced and quarantined timely. So where is it that we need help and what can our mainland cousins provide? That's a breakdown. It's from uh, JB. David says, uh, RTHK has failed to give any consideration at all to the fact that Hong Kong activists has repeatedly produced false and misleading claims over and over again to politicise the COVID-19 pandemic. Now it's the ridiculous claim of DNA collection by mainland authorities. Letting Kwokkaki running wild again, spreading rumours and disinformation on today's show is just another example. For example, Kwokkaki constantly tries to point towards the exemptions and border crossing with mainland China as the root cause for the rise in infections. While the exemptions are certainly to blame for the rise of infections, none of them could be traced back to mainland China. The numbers speak for itself. The government pointed out that over 200,000 quarantine orders have been issued so far for arrivals from the mainland, Macau and Taiwan without a single confirmed case. Whereas for arrivals from other countries, of the roughly 130,000 people being put under quarantine, 728 cases were subsequently confirmed positive uh, that is from uh, David thank you very much indeed for uh, those comments uh, uh, any more no I tell you just one one more question for you Dr Mar um, the measures we because we haven't even touched on this the, the measures that were introduced last week they're going to be extended for another week do you uh, uh, do you think that's going to be useful do you think that's appropriate I do think it's going to be useful I think it's uh, how effective they are. We re- there is a lag time, so you know we're talking about one or two weeks. So what we're seeing today might be the result of measures that are implemented last week or the week before. So I, I think there is certainly um, uh, one of the, uh, an approach is to to sort of enforce uh, social distancing measures, and I think it's it's certainly important for us to to follow that. Okay, well, Dr. Ma, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Alistair Ma, the Senior Manager at the Patient Safety and Risk Management Department at the Hospital Authority, the Hong Kong Hospital Authority. Thank you very much indeed for for joining us. Uh, An email from Bowen now, just before we get to our final topic. Uh, Bowen says, I note with interest Mike Rouse's argument yesterday that in the context of our discussion, Articles 50 to 52 of the Basic Law provide for the dissolution of LegCo, but only when LegCo has genuinely rejected a bill purely on its own merits. I would just point out that politics is essentially a process for compromises and trade-offs to be made, even under the basic law, as evidenced by its articles 49 to 52. In other places, it's not uncommon for an important bill or its provisions to be negotiated in exchange for... 
or political demands. It's perfectly legitimate for the dominant force of Allegico as constituted at any particular time, which could be the pandems, to attempt to make such trade-offs or deals with the executive branch over government bills, which, in which case the aim is not to force the government out, as Mike alleged yesterday. My understanding is that the so-called 10-point plan of some of the pandems is not necessarily a plan to go the whole nine yards, meaning vetoing all the proposed bills and the rest of it, provided that the government is willing to make compromises somewhere along the way. The last edition of the legal, legal text on the constitutional law of Hong Kong suggests that the rationale of those basic law articles which provide for the dissolution of LegCo arising out of circumstances, including its refusal to pass a bill, is as follows. Quote, the constitutional arrangement is to allow Hong Kong citizens to judge on executive legislative, legislative deadlocks by returning a LegCo to support the CE or a hostile LegCo to oust him. It does not make any assumption about what the nature of the dispute is or why any deadlock has occurred, probably exactly for the reason outlined above. It does, however, surmise that despite the basic law's articles, Hong Kongers may not be given such power in reality, not only because the CE is likely to be able to garner sufficient support in LegCo if legislators are threatened with the prospect of LegCo's dissolution, but also because LegCo is not fully elected by universal suffrage. It would be ironic and self-contradicting if in the unlikely event that the conditions assumed in Articles 50 to 52 are present, meaning that there are indeed sufficient legislators who refuse to yield to the CE's demand, for example, to pass a bill, the authorities will brand them as they now brand the disqualified candidates even before the latter can start contesting in an election as seeking to paralyse the government and subvert state power. That's from Bowen. Uh, finally today we wanted to uh, uh, discuss uh, a uh, call for action to the public uh, from a uh, uh, an organisation that's uh, hoping to uh, support uh, NGOs helping to bridge the gap, as they put it, and support uh, at-risk uh, communities. A number of uh, NGOs are facing uh, serious challenges uh, at this time uh, as uh, private foundations and uh, individuals and uh, corporate donors uh, are uh, finding it hard to um, support, continue to support um, the uh, NGOs. And uh, the uh, Asian Charity Services, uh, uh, in collaboration with the uh, Chen Yet Sen Family Foundation uh, are working to uh, ameliorate that position and uh, to uh, encourage uh, people to donate all or part of their $10,000 uh, government relief payout to NGOs who are in dire need of funding. Jennifer Chen is the Chief Executive of the Chen Yet Sen Family Foundations and joins us on the line now. Ms Chen, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you for having me this morning. Thank you very much indeed for, for, for joining us. Yeah, tell, tell us about this initiative then, Bridge the Gap. What's it, what's it about? Well, as you quite rightly said in your introduction, we have um, received the government payout of $10,000 for a Hong Kong permanent residence, and we're asking those who can afford to, to direct that $10,000 to the NGO sector. And those NGOs specifically are those that non-sufficient, and so would really, really be so grateful for the addition of unrestricted funding so that they can keep their lights on to pay their rent, pay salaries, and keep them running. So this is the main area of Bridge the Gap. Okay, Ms. Chen, you're, you're a little bit distant. Could you just get a little bit closer to the phone, maybe if it's on speaker, maybe just... Uh... Take it off speaker? Yeah, is that clear? Look? That's good, yeah, now we've, we've got you full blast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Jennifer, I've, uh, I've read from your website that you have selected um, some NGOs uh, for possible donors. Uh, they are the smaller NGOs in Hong Kong, including Animals Asia, uh, Rain Lily, Bring Me a Boke. Um, so why have you selected these NGOs? Well, 
NGOs are ones we have existing grantee relationships with. That is, like, we've been working with them over a number of years. So we have done our due diligence on them. We know their organizations. We know the people. We understand the beneficiaries which they serve. And so there is an element of uh, trust as well that we have with these NGOs. Plus, they're serving those in need. The Hong Kong Council of Social Services did a survey in uh, May of this year and looked at some of those NGOs that are particularly in need of um, funding because they're smaller and, and they really need the extra support in terms of getting this unrestricted funding. So the group we have here have been thoroughly scrubbed um, in terms of their, their need and we very much believe in what they need to do and hence we're providing additional funding to support them. And, and you're, so you're going to match the funding to, um, to some of those? Yes, the Bridge the Gap idea is to have Hong Kong helping Hong Kong. And the $10,000 donation to the NGOs is, is going to go straight to those NGOs. But in certain cases, and in the case of our grantees, we have pledged to double any donation that goes to our grantees. Uh, we have five grantees in this group, just to be specific. Um, they are Bring Me a Book Hong Kong, Playwright Hong Kong, Zubin Foundation, Teach for Hong Kong, and run our city. So every dollar that goes to those, we will be matching. And that means that one dollar becomes two. Uh, we're really excited about this opportunity because it, it really is a multiplier effect. And we appeal to not only the uh, Hong Kong public to donate, but other foundations, other corporations who may also be in a position to provide additional funding in large sums to these NGOs who really need the What's the message from the NGOs? What, what, what are they saying? And, and uh, are things getting better or worse? How, how's the situation? Because that survey was done back in, uh, in April, uh, a, a while ago now. Um, do, do we have any updates? We do, definitely. We take them very close contact with the NGO sector. Many of them have taken pay cuts, um, 25 to 50% in pay cuts. Um, many of them have had to move out of their premises or downsize or co-locate with other NGOs to keep their, um, their running costs as low as possible. It, it's very dire. In some cases, there are some of the, the NGOs that are really um, on three months of cash reserve. So we've been working with some of those and understand the, the very important role they play in serving the needy. And we're hoping that through the efforts that they are making, the Hong Kong public aware that they will be encouraged to provide some support by support it to these NGOs. Um, so, um, what, what about other NGOs uh, that also need a lot of cash? Uh, I mean, your grantees are in a really favourable position now that you have launched the Bridge, Bridge the Gap Hong Kong, but I do understand there are many other NGOs who would need uh, this kind of support. I absolutely agree, and I feel that Bridge the Gap is the beginning of the message. We've started with this group of NGOs because they are ones that we are familiar with. But if anyone who's listening today has a relationship who knows of a charity that they've been supporting and perhaps have not considered, I really encourage you to go back to those charities to seek out areas of interest or concern, maybe in your community, to, uh, to support them. There's, a, there's another group of funders that has also joined our Bridge the Gap initiative for the Hong Kong Community Recovery Fund. They're a group of um, uh, funders that have specifically come
coming from the American community, the American Chamber of Commerce, the American Club Foundation, the American Women's Association. And they have uh, reached out to several NGOs, which also appear on our www.bridgethegaphk.org website, that um, are looking at those who need um, particular areas of mental health in education. This is an unprecedented disruption that Hong Kong is going through right now. And these areas are being served by these NGOs. So we are very excited to have cross-section NGOs on our side. But by no means are they the only NGOs that need support. Mm. What's your feeling, you know, talking to other foundations, other donors, um, uh, individual donors and and corporate donors? Are are they facing the same kind of problems, economic problems, or are they uh, and or are they aware of the the problems faced by NGOs? I feel that uh, there are many who are doing great I mean, we've read in headlines some of our Hong Kong make big donations, and that's so, so appreciated. Um, Hong Kong Dodgy Club has done some amazing things in the sector. Uh, we, we feel that there's always more you can do, and we know from a fact and that many of the NGOs are suffering. I think today the call to action is to the, to the small group of uh, Hong Kongers, the top 1%, or even not the top 1%, but those who have because you say 100,000 people that could donate say 10,000 Hong Kong dollars, that would translate to 1 billion Hong Kong dollars that could go to the NGOs in Hong Kong. Mm. That would really make such a difference. Our summer has been disrupted because of travel. If you think about it from that way, if um, $10,000 that would have gone to a summer trip, could you perhaps allocate that to an NGO who really would so much with that money and change the lives of the beneficiaries they serve. Okay, well, uh, we'll wish you all the best with that. The, you can find out more at the uh, uh, website uh, bridgethegaphk.org. Uh, uh, has uh, all the details in English and in uh, Chinese. Uh, Jennifer Chen, Chief Executive of the Chen Yat-sen Family Foundation. Many thanks for joining us. Best of luck with that initiative. Uh, Ada, many thanks to you. Um, Danny is going to be in the chair for the next few days. I've got my summer holiday. Yay! That's three days <laughs> uh, instead of uh, three weeks. Uh, uh, so uh, I'll be back uh, on uh, Monday, uh, leaving you now with the latest weather. It's going to be mainly cloudy today with occasional showers, sunny intervals uh, in the morning, isolated thunderstorms later. Light winds and the outlooks, showers will be heavy at times with thunderstorms tomorrow and the showers will ease off gradually in the following few days. 28 degrees at the moment and the relative humidity now at 83%. There is a price to pay for taking drugs. No matter what amount of drugs you take, you will surely lose much more. Taking cocaine and ice may make you feel high at the time. You may think they can relieve stress, but you could soon lose everything. Is it worth losing your life to drugs? Call 186186 or send a message via WhatsApp or WeChat on 9818 9.31, the news now with Samantha Butler. The editor-in-chief of mainland mouthpiece The Global Times says China will take retaliatory action, including targeting American journalists in Hong Kong, if all U.S.-based Chinese journalists are forced to leave. In a statement on Twitter, Hu Jin said given that the U.S. side hadn't renewed visas of Chinese journalists, the Chinese side was prepared for the worst scenario that all Chinese journalists might have to leave the U.S.
President Trump has insisted the coronavirus outbreak in the United States is receding, saying there'd been a drop of nearly 6% in the number of reported cases over the past week. More than 150,000 people have died with the virus in the U.S. But Mr. Trump told the news conference he was proud of America's response to the pandemic. And Hong Kong's delegate to the National People's Congress Standing Committee says he expects it will lay down principles over whether to allow four pro-democracy lawmakers who are disqualified from LegCo elections to stay on now that the elections are delayed a year. Tam Yu-Chung says he expects the guidelines on how to fill the one-year gap at LegCo will be easy to follow to avoid confusion. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. A sociology prof from the university. Set and costume designer, great interpreter of Beethoven. And by oh so shy, quiet and retiring doggy cats, co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. Good morning. Inter- interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning. Welcome to Tuesday on the Morning Brew with me, Phil Whelan. Well, today at 10.10, we will find out just how true the old saying, the show must go on, really is. So Vince Warren from the Hong Kong Theatre Company is going to tell us how, by hook or by crook, their performance of Christian Love is going to happen. And yes, it's about that Christie. And it explores ideas of love, sexuality and society through the case of one of the most infamous serial killers of the 20th century. Osboy Jared Watt's going to be with me after 10.30 with all the latest from Down Under, including the usual great music selection and some news that will definitely make our male listeners put that sucky lemon face on. Dr. Marin Pierce after 11 with this week's EcoBit from wherever he lays his hat. And after 12, biz futurist Morris Misalowski will explain as much as possible why this possible USA TikTok deal is a lot more significant than it might normally be. I mean, after all, it's just an app, right? Yes. But it's one owned by a Chinese company, which for many reasons currently complicates matters greatly. That's the long and short of it on today's Morning Brew. Off we go with the music and this is not a brimful of Asher. 